0: Hey, good evening everybody, Numbers 21 tonight, Numbers 21, Numbers 21, for those that are watching there at home, I'm glad to have you with us and blessed as we continue through our study through the book of Numbers, and uh, I tell you, loving the new haircut there, Marv, looks really good, I know you told me you were thinking about cutting all the hair off and it turned out real nice, Marv, I like that a lot. Hey, a couple quick updates for you. Just want to let you know, uh, we will be having in-person church on Sunday. As uh, Marv mentioned there in the introduction, there are are some guidelines here from the county that we are asked to follow, and so we are respectfully following that. Uh, We have mentioned these before, so I won't go through them again. It's all on the church Facebook page. The main thing is service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. 9 a.m. we meet back in the fellowship hall, 10.30 a.m. we meet here in the church. We will be doing communion on Sunday, and so if you will be watching the live stream from home and you do not have the Elements needed for communion, just contact us. We'll have somebody swing by and drop off whatever needs to be dropped off. That way you can partake of communion with us. We will be continuing just live stream only on Wednesdays for this season. So no in person on Wednesday for this season, live stream only, but face to face on Sundays with those guidelines that you can check out on the church Facebook page as well. Prayer call still going on on Sundays as well, 3 o'clock. Hope you can turn in for that. That is a real neat blessing. And what a wonderful time that is. I look forward to that. And I hope you can be blessed by that as well. Uh, Also, we're going to be doing graduation Sunday on June 7th. So June 7th. We had to move it back, obviously, with everything that was going on. So June 7th. And if you've noticed on the church Facebook page, they've been doing a great job. Uh, Carrie and Gary are doing that, putting the different graduates up there with a little bit of a bio and stuff. Really neat. And the reason we put so much emphasis on this is because we believe it's so vitally important to pray for them and to encourage them. And so that's what we want to do. So if you want to come out June 7th at the 1030 service, graduates, we will honor you in person. And if you don't, if can't, don't want to, that's fine as well send your information there it's all on the church Facebook page would you love to put your picture up there where the Lord's leading you what the Lord looks like for the future for you so we can pray for you encourage you but June 7th face to face out here at church for the graduation as well I think that's most everything, keep everything in prayer as always, always, as we've been saying out here many, many times before, let's be practical, let's be prayerful, let's be purposeful in this season, if there's a way we can minister to you, let us know, if you know somebody we can minister to, let us know, we want to represent Jesus in all ways and all things. Hey, Numbers 21 tonight, Numbers 21, I'm going to go turn the lights on. our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your law. Let us be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Your word says that these were given to us as an example, an example of what to do and what not to do, Lord. This book is alive and active. Let it preach to us. Let it teach us, Lord. Let it guide us. Let it direct us in all ways and all truth. And Lord, let your Holy Spirit teach. And we ask for that. I ask right now that you'd give us the blessing of, of word of wisdom, word of knowledge and teaching for your glory, Lord, in your name. Amen. Numbers 21 tonight. We're going to do just Numbers 21, which puts us in great job to get into Numbers 22 next week, but the reason I bring this up is because really Numbers 22, Numbers 23, Numbers 24 all go together. That is the story of Balaam. I don't know yet how we're exactly going to do it. I'd really like if time would allow for us to do Numbers 22, 23, and 24 all in one setting because it goes together so wonderfully, but I don't know if time would allow us to do that. So next week we get into Balaam and the talking, talking donkey, so I'm looking forward to that. As you can read ahead. But for here, Numbers 21. And what we've been doing here is we are getting ready for them to get into the actual promised land area. They're ending their 40 year wandering in the wilderness. And if you remember correctly, last week we had Miriam died. We had Aaron died, which represents the judgment comes upon all of them. That generation was all going to die, so that's revealing that. We also had Moses' sin, and Moses' sin there also is going to bring about his death as well. But here in Numbers 21, we're getting back into this area of the promised land, right on the edge, and you're going to start seeing them run into difficulties again and again and again. So let's just jump right into this and see what the Lord has in store for it. Numbers 21, verse 1, it says, The king of Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Arthenaeum, Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites and they utterly destroyed them in their cities. So the name of that place was called Hormah. Now we have a lot of points about this. and Let's just break this down. Working backwards, the place is called Hormah, which can mean destruction or it means devotion because it shows they were utterly devoted to the Lord by destroying these cities, which we'll get to that in a little bit. But the name Hormah should bring a bell with you because if you remember back in numbers 14 they had sent the spies into the land 10 of the spies came back and said we can't do this and the nation of israel rebelled and said we will not go into the promised land they were walking in fear not faith and at that point god says you will now have to wander for the next 38 40 years Well, what happened was, if you remember correctly in Numbers 14, Israel decided to do their own invasion into the Promised Land. They didn't go with Moses' leadership. They didn't go with the Ark of the Covenant. They didn't go with God. It was their own flesh that said, Hey, we messed up. We're going to make this work on our own. And the place was called Hormah. So they're back to where they were. Now, I like this because they're back to where they were. But this time, they're doing it right. Verse 2. Israel made a vow to the Lord. Here's the thing. You will have hormas in your life. You will have times of destruction. But aren't you thankful that God is a God of second chances, third, fourth, fifth chances? And I don't know how many times in my life I've completely messed something up and I've gone back to the Lord in prayer and said, Lord, I've really messed this up. Could you give me another chance? And he allows me to come back to horma again and this time to walk in faith not fear. So that's actually a very encouraging thing to see them back to where they were. Now, verse two is a strange verse. They took some of the Israelites prisoners. Verse one. So verse two, Lord, if you would give us this, if you deliver these people, we'll destroy all their cities. Now that sounds like revenge. That sounds like anger, but it's not. By them saying, I will utterly destroy their cities. They're saying, Lord, we have no desire for personal gain. We don't want any of the spoil of war. We just want you. See, this wasn't, Lord, if you let us defeat it, we'll give you 90% of the spoil. Or, Lord, if you, if you let us defeat this, we'll give you half. They're saying, Lord, we don't want any of the spoil. We're not doing this for us. We're doing this for your glory. We're doing this for you. They took our people prisoner, your people, Lord. So we want to go destroy this for you. And I think that's really important. Because how often are we trying to cut little deals with God? You know, God, if you give me this job, if you give me this spouse, if you give me this, then, Lord, I'll do this. Here you see the nation of Israel saying, Lord, we don't want anything. We just want you. So we'll destroy everything. I know that comes across strange. But the way they're trying to say this is, Lord, we want nothing but just you. So therefore, everything will be destroyed to show that our only heart was for you. Now, verse three is very important, though, because look at the wording here. And the Lord listened. The Lord listened. Depending on your translation, the Lord hearkened, the Lord heeded, the Lord heard. What's so amazing is not that we can talk to God. What's so amazing is that God listens to us. Now, if, if God's God, of course he's going to hear us when we talk to him. But what's so amazing is he actually listens to us. Think that through for a second. God listens to us. The Lord listened to Israel. Can you go with me to Luke 18, please? Luke 18. I want you to think about the creator of the universe listening to your prayers when you pray. Luke 18. To kind of keep this theme going of God listening, I want to remind you of a couple of Psalms. Uh, Psalm one eighteen, I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. I called upon the Lord and He answered me. Psalm one hundred thirty eight. And the day when I cried out, you answered me. I cried out and you answered me. That's amazing. Once again, what's so amazing it's not we can talk to God, what's so amazing is that He listens to us. Look here at Luke eighteen, starting verse thirty five with me. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before him warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still. I love that verse. The creator of the universe stood still for a blind man crying out. Let that sink in. Numbers 21, the Lord listened. Luke 18, Jesus stood still. He got the attention of God. Commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and following him, glorifying God. And all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. Jesus stood still. Heaven stops and listens when we pray. Never forget that. So back now to Numbers 21. So it shows their devotion to God, hence Horma. Shows their destruction, hence Horma. And it shows their heart. Now, here's the deal. Israel in the Old Testament is a little bit like a roller coaster. There's a lot of ups and downs. They have this amazing victory here where you look like they're getting it. And then we get to verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Now why did the soul of the people become very discouraged? Because if you remember correctly last week in verses 14 through 21 they wanted to pass through Edom. Edom would not let them. Edom came out in force and said if you come through our land we will attack you. Israel said we'll pay for whatever we take. We'll pay for the water. We'll pay for the food. But they said no. Verse 21 of Numbers 20 Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from them. So if you look at a map of the wandering here, you see they had made this huge, huge detour. So now they're discouraged because it's starting to sink in. We could have been there already. But instead we're going around, we're making this thing so they are discouraged. Listen, folks. Life is discouraging. Let's just accept that fact. Life is discouraging. Go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Life is discouraging. And I think sometimes we need to see that, understand that, accept that. As we're going to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. David Guzik had a great point about this. He says that Israel had a reason to be discouraged. But that doesn't give them an excuse to sin. There's discouraging things in life. But that does not give you an excuse to sin. Remember Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. All things. See this is what happens in our human nature. We have a reason to be upset. We think that gives us an excuse then to sin. So it was a bad day at work, so I'm allowed to be grumpy. I don't feel good, so I'm allowed to be grouchy. I'm really tired, so I'm allowed to do this. You may have a reason, but that does not give you an excuse to sin. Always remember that in the back of your mind. Ecclesiastes 10 reminds us that life is discouraging. If you're having a wonderful moment with the Lord, and you want to be brought back to reality, just read the book of Ecclesiastes. Talk about an honest book. Verse 5, Ecclesiastes 10. There is an evil I have seen under the sun. As an error proceeding from the ruler. So, he sees error. He sees evil. What is the error in evil? Verse 6. Folly is set in great dignity. People love folly. They love sin. They love foolishness. While the rich sit in a lowly place. I've seen servants on horses. Servants shouldn't be on horses. Princes walk on the ground like servants. Princes should be on on, on the horses and the servants should be on the ground. He's saying the world is messed up. Look at verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. Has that ever happened? You dig the pit, you fall into it. It was the accident. Whoever breaks through a wall will be bitten by a serpent. You're just out there trying to do a good job. And next thing you know, you're getting bit. Verse 9. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. He who splits wood may be endangered by it. I'm just trying to do good. I'm just trying to do a good job at work. I'm trying to do a good job at home. And it always comes back to bite me. Yeah. Life's discouraging. Israel had to go around Edom. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right. Ecclesiastes, I'm just trying to split wood and I get hurt. I'm just trying to go through a wall. And I get bit by a serpent. Life's not fair. I just went to work to do a good job and I all bit my head off. I was trying to do something right at home and the husband didn't like it. The wife didn't like it. The kids got upset. Yeah, I know. Life's discouraging. But I have to remember, even though life's discouraging, it doesn't give me an excuse to sin. I like what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Listen, life is hard. Life is perplexing, but we're not crushed. We're not in despair. So just remember that. Life is discouraging, but God is still good. All right, so continue on here, verse 5. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Please note this time, verse 5, they're speaking against God as well as Moses. Most of the time they only complained against Moses. But here they're complaining against God. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And our soul loaves this worthless bread. Alright, verse 5. You just got to stop right there. God has provided food for them for 40 years. He's provided water for them. They loathe this worthless bread. We've studied out the manna before. The blessing that manna was. They're just complaining to complain. Do you know somebody like that? Where life doesn't go their way, they just start attacking everything. That's just how they are. When they get upset and grouchy about something, everything goes down. I got some kids at home right now, and I know my kids are watching, that they get that way. They're upset about one thing, and it just trickles down to they're angry about everything. This is what's happening with Israel at this point. And they're even attacking the bread. And I'm just going to tell you right now, you never want to put down God's cooking, because... Look what happens here. Sometimes we need a wake-up call, verse 6. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Complaining brings the bite of the serpent. Brings the bite of the enemy. When you walk in a world of complaining, you're going to get bit. If you are a complainer, and this is the problem with complainers, most complainers I meet, they don't even realize they're a complainer. They they disguise it under, I'm just going to be honest. I'm just venting. Just be careful with that. Be careful with that. Complaining means, I just want to let everybody know how negative it is and how awful it is. You know, there's no nothing constructive. I don't want to be taught how to handle this better. I don't want to hear what the scriptures say. I don't want to give God glory. I just want to let everybody know how upset I am. Now, if you're contacting to say, hey, listen, here's the issue. It bothers me. It discourages me. Point me back to the Lord. Point me back towards the scriptures. Point me towards it. Then amen. But if it's just let me tell you how bad it is, that's complaining, that's a sin. And I tell people all the time that call, and maybe they're upset about something, I, I, you'll hear me say this, I don't need to know the details, because the details sometimes just lead to more complaining. We just got to be careful, because when we walk in that spirit of complaining, fiery serpents will come back to bite us. Complaining brings the bite of the serpents. Just remember that. Verse 7, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The bite of the serpents, though, is a wake-up call to bring us back spiritually. They realized their sin, and it brought them back spiritually. Go with me real quick to Hebrews 12. Let's talk about the correction of the Lord and the good of it. Hebrews 12. And as always, if you're if you're watching the live stream at home and you have any questions, you can contact us and we can try to answer those questions as well. The bite of the serpents is a wake-up call to bring them back spiritually. Hebrews chapter twelve, starting verse five with me. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. I know it's hard to see this. I know it's hard to realize this. But love is discipline. Love is scourging. Love is rebuke. God loves us to correct us. Verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit. The correction is for our profit. That we might be partakers of his holiness. The fiery serpents that he sends to bite us when we walk in that complaining is actually for our good. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present but painful. Nevertheless, afterward. Afterward is key. Afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The bite of the serpents from my complaining... Yields fruit of righteousness when I'm trained by it. I realize complaining leads to the bite of the serpent. It's not worth it, Lord. It's not worth it for me to complain against your goodness and your provision. It's not worth it for me to complain. They're discouraged about their little round trip that they have to take. Listen, when you're in God's will, there's no wasted time. So if you are trusting the sovereignty of God, if you're trusting his will for your life, and your life is not moving the way you think it should, why are you complaining? God's sovereign. God's good. So the job hasn't worked out the way you wanted. God's good. You haven't got what you wanted. God's good. You haven't met Mr. Right or Mrs. Right yet. God's good. God's good. Why are we walking in that complaining? Moses prays for the people. Now look at this answer. This is really a strange answer. Verse 8. Then The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. So it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. What a strange answer to prayer. Now, this is a picture of Jesus. Jesus in John 3. So often in John 3, we only focus on John three sixteen, But if you read John three fourteen. This is really a picture of Jesus Christ, which makes this even more fascinating for us to have a a little commentary on what this is. John 3.14 says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So this serpent is a picture of Christ on the cross. I was reading a commentator recently, and he said this, People only did one thing on a cross. They died on it. So when you see the cross mentioned in the Bible, it brings death. People only did one thing on a cross. They died on it. So therefore, when it talks about the Son of Man being lifted up, it's talking about His death. He lifted up on the cross. This serpent here represents death. Bronze in the Bible generally represents judgment. But serpents in the Bible don't represent good things. Serpents in the Bible represent evil. So here is a bronze serpent that represents judgment, which is a picture of Jesus on the cross. We know that from John 3. So why a serpent? Because Jesus isn't the serpent. Jesus isn't evil. But yet, he became sin for us. So when Christ was hanging on the cross, he was a symbol of the punishment of sin. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.21. He that knew no sin became sin for us, so we might become the righteousness of God. John 19.37 says, Look upon him whom they have pierced. So just as this serpent represents evil, bronze being judged, Jesus on the cross represented the sin being judged that we had to look upon, John 3, verse 14. Now look, it's only look on, nothing else. Look at the healing of this. If you just looked at it, verse 9, you lived. I remember one time seeing an artist's description of this, and you see people on the ground writhing in pain from these bites, but yet looking up being healed. You don't have to touch the bronze serpent. You don't have to sacrifice the bronze serpent. You don't have to pay money to the bronze serpent. You just have to look at the bronze serpent, And that bronze serpent represents Jesus once again. We look to him, John nineteen thirty-seven. Look upon him, you have pierced. Look at how easy salvation is, Ephesians two eight nine. For as by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. We look upon Jesus and we are saved. What a beautiful picture this is of salvation! What a beautiful picture this is of Jesus! Absolutely love this. And These people did not deserve this in any way whatsoever. They're complaining against God's cooking. They didn't deserve this. Just like we don't deserve salvation, but the Lord still heals us. One last point about this. Careful. Careful of taking something good and making it an idol. We know from 2 Kings 18 that this bronze serpent was still around. 800 years later, 800 years later it's still around, Hezekiah destroyed it. And when he destroyed it, he called it a, a Hebrew term meaning piece of brass. Trying to tell people, guys, this is nothing special. Be careful. Human nature wants to take something and make it an idol. We do. That's why I don't think we'll ever find the Ark of the Covenant. I don't think we'll actually ever find the real tomb of Jesus. I don't think we'll find Noah's Ark because we would make it a shrine and an idol. You can make an idol out of anything. You can make an idol out of Bible study. You can make an idol out of prayer. You can make an idol out of evangelism. You can take anything good and make it an idol. Because you start worshiping that rather than Jesus. Be careful. They took this good thing and 800 years later are worshiping it. Hezekiah is destroying it. What a neat picture this is. Really neat picture, and I hope you can chew on that this week. Last, do we have any questions or anything yet? Nope, nothing. All right, verse 10. Now, verses 10 through 20 is a lot of information, and we're not going to read all of it. It is their travel agenda, where they're going, the different locations and everything like that. And now, don't don't take this as it's not important. It is important, but you can look at a map and kind of follow it around. It's a lot of names and locations that don't ring a bell with us a lot. So therefore, I'm not actually going to read through it, but you can see. And I want to just bring out a couple points in this. First point, verse 10. Now, the children of Israel moved on and camped at Oboth. Now, they may not seem like a big deal, but it is a big deal. They moved on. King James said they set forward. Why am I making emphasis of this? Because you got to move on. You sinned, I sinned, we messed up, God forgives us, we move on. See, they're coming out of people dying while being bitten by serpents. you got to move on. You are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Peter denied Christ. But then he was restored and we have to move on. How often do we wallow in self-pity? I don't know how many times over the years I've had people come into this church, my office, call me. And they can't understand or accept that they are forgiven. And they won't move on. They want to wallow in that sin of how could I? You're forgiven. Move on say, oh, but pastor, you don't understand what I did. I don't understand what you did. You don't understand what I did either, but you move on. You set forward. Be careful of the self-pity. Self-pity almost looks good and holy. Oh, how humble and how awful I am. Self-pity is a sin in and of itself. Oswald Chambers says this, no sin is worse than the sin of self-pity. Because it removes God from the throne of our lives, replacing him with our own self-interest. When somebody's wallowing in self-pity, it is all about them. It's not about God. And you can make self-pity look holy. Oh, I can't believe I did that. I'm such an awful, horrible person, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, but you're saved by the blood of Jesus. Oh, but you don't understand. But you're forgiven by God. Oh, but I can never move on. Good golly. Then you're not understanding forgiveness. I love verse 10. Move on. Set forward in godly repentance because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Not because you've earned it or deserved it, but because Jesus did it for you. So they moved on. You see the different places they're camping. And here they are, back complaining about water in verse 5. But take a look at verse 16. From then they went to Be'er, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together and I will give them water. And then they sing a song. Spring up, O well. God provides This complaining group of people, God keeps providing. What an absolute blessing God is. Even in my days of discouragement and complaining, His mercies are new every morning. It rains on the just and the unjust. God just gives us grace. Wow, such an amazing blessing. Now we get to 21 through 35. 21 through 35 is kind of interesting. It's two guys, Ag and Sihon. Ag and Sihon. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I've never really heard about Ag and Sihon. It's amazing how big of a deal Ag and Sihon are in the Bible. They are mentioned in Psalm 135, mentioned in Psalm 136, and they're mentioned here in Judges 11. These two guys are a big deal. And I'm going to tell you why they're a big deal. And then we're going to go on and talk about the details of it. They're a big deal because as they're getting ready to get into the promised land here, these are two powerful kings and kingdoms that Israel is getting into battle with. And they defeat them. And God is allowing them to defeat them to say, look, Israel, you can do this. And I'm going to give you some guys here to defeat to show you, you can do this. I've seen in my life, the Lord allows a trial or tribulation to come into my life to say, see James, you can do this through me. How often have we said, I can't. God says, oh, but you can. And he allows a little trial or tribulation to come in, and we can. I I remember hearing at a pastor's conference years ago, uh, a pastor saying, when God wants to teach me how to swim, he just throws me in the deep end. Yeah, I remember when I took over out here, I was uh, 22 uh, when I took over. How do you learn how to do a funeral? You do a funeral. How do you learn how to do a wedding? You do a wedding. How do you learn to do marriage counseling? You sit down and do marriage counseling. You get thrown in the deep end and you learn. You know, when we were trying to figure out how are we going to do this on Sundays now, we're looking at the guidelines from the county, six foot social distancing, all of the cleaning, all of this. How are we supposed to do this? I don't know how many times we said, I don't know. Let's just try and see what happens. So we we're going to follow the rules, we're going to follow the guidelines, we're going to show up, and we're going to learn. We're going to jump in the deep end and learn how to swim. If you are a personality that you have to have every I dot and every T cross before you're willing to take a step of faith, and you're not walking in faith in any way whatsoever, you have to learn to sometimes jump in the deep end and just learn to swim. God's not going to let you drown. Ag and Sihon, we're just going to jump in the deep end here, because if you go to Israel and say, hey, Ag and Sihon, you're going to go fight them in battle. Oh, we can't do that. We can't do that. We're, we're, we're descendants of slaves. We're not military people. There's no way. These are, God says, I know. I'm just going to throw you in the deep end. You're going to trust me. So, verse 21, Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. So this is what they tried with Edom. Edom said no. They're going to say, Listen, we, we just want to cross through your land. But Sihon, verse 23, would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel into the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Sihon, Edom at least, back in Numbers 20... Said don't. And they brought an army out but didn't attack. As a show of force. Sihon just came out and attacked him. 24. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword. And took possession of his land. From Aran to the Jabbok. As far as the people of Ammon. For the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities. And Israel dwelt in the cities of the Amorites. And Heshbon and all its villages. They had victory. Victory over Sihon you may say, who's Sihon? I know, we don't understand this, but once again, Psalm 135, Psalm 136, Judges 11, this was a big deal, such a big deal that they sang songs, stories about how amazing Sihon was, verse 26, for Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the uh, the uh, Amorites, so they took Heshbon, verse 25, verse 26 says that Heshbon was Sihon's capital, so they took the capital from him who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all his land from his land as far as Arnon. Therefore, they, say, they "Excuse me." Therefore, those who speak in Proverbs say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built, that the city of Sihon be repaired. For fire went out from Heshbon, and it consumed from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ara of Moab, the lords of the heights of Aron. Woe to you, Moab, for you have perished, O people of Cheshma. For he has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity to Sihon, king of the Amorites." Follow along, because I know it's a little bit difficult to follow here. 25, Israel takes Heshbon, the city. 26, Heshbon was the capital of Sihon, the king. And then in 27 and 28 and 29, people sang songs about how amazing Sihon was that controlled Heshbon. So basically, follow the logic of this. Sihon beat Moab, verse 29, 28. Israel beat Sihan, which shows Israel can beat Moab. That's what these verses are saying. So basically, my team beat the team that beat the division leader. So therefore, I beat the team that beat the team that's really good, which shows me I'm better than the team that's really good. That's what basically this is saying. Israel took Heshbon defeated Sihon who had then in fact also defeated Moab so then by default Israel is better than Moab which Moab was a power at this time God is showing Israel you can do this through me you can do this parents have we not done this with our children we can't, we can't, we can't yeah you can I'm thinking back to homeschooling this year thinking back to teaching laden double digit multiplication you can do this buddy teaching Tyrus division. You, you can do this. We, we can do this. Have we not done this as parents? Did our parents not do this to us? I can remember being in baseball and, and, and having that fear of the pitch coming in and my dad pushing me in. You can do this. You can do this. God is saying to Israel, Listen, I'm going to give you the strength to beat Sihon. And remember, Sihon beat Moab, which means now you have the strength to beat Moab. This is the Lord doing this. And then we get to the other guy, Og, verse 33. And they turned and went up by the way to Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and also people to battle Adria. Please note in verse 33, as far as we can tell, this is an unprovoked attack. Og is basically saying from our perspective here, listen, uh, you guys took out Sihon, um... I'm not even going to give you a chance. I'm just going to come up and hitch and attack you. Then verse 34, Then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people in his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites who dwelt at Heshbon. So they defeated him, his sons, and all his people, until there were no survivor left in him, and they took possession of his land. Verse 34, Why does the Lord have to say to Moses, Do not fear him? As you know in the Bible, if God is saying, Do not fear him, that means that they were afraid of him. Because God would not say to you, Do not fear, unless there is something to be afraid of. Why would they be afraid of this guy, Og? Well, we get a little bit more detail of Og later on in the book of Deuteronomy. Look at the description of Og from the book of Deuteronomy. I'm reading out the New Living Translation. King Og of Bashan was the last survivor of the giant Rephahites. He was a giant. His bed was made of iron, and it was more than 13 feet long and 6 feet wide. It can still be seen in the Amorite city of Rabbah at the time of writing. So his bed was 13 feet long and 6 feet wide. He was a giant. He was a giant. Giant of a man, giant of a king, giant of an army. And God helped Israel defeat him. That's what's so amazing about this. So I'm going to bring up a couple quick points here. Please note with Sihon, Israel did everything right. We won't take anything from you, verse 22. We won't take your water, we won't take your food. And they still got attacked. With Og, Israel did nothing wrong. And they still got attacked. How's that for a life lesson to end on? You can do everything right and still get attacked. You could do nothing wrong and still get attacked. What did Jesus say in John 16:33? These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Have you not had a day like that? You did everything right at work and you still got in trouble. You did nothing wrong and you still got in trouble it's not fair I know it's not fair remember Ecclesiastes 10 I'm splitting wood and I get splinters it's not fair dug a pit and I fell in it it's not fair this world is a cursed fallen world Romans 8 the whole world groans take every step you can to not get sick you still get sick you did everything right to make your spouse happy and she still ain't happy you tried to bless these children and they're still upset and discontent you try to love the body of Christ and they still hate the pastor You do everything right, you're still attacked. You do nothing wrong, you're still attacked. Israel's learning this lesson right here. Jesus went through it. We've gone through it. This is a cursed, fallen world. This world is not fair. And aren't you glad it's not fair? Because if this world was fair, none of us would deserve heaven. None of us would get to go to heaven. Grace in and of itself is not fair. It's a gift. That's the beauty of this. God is giving strength to Israel to defeat the Sihans and the Oggs of this world. And you're going to run into Sihan and Oggs. You're going to do everything right, still get attacked. You're going to do nothing wrong and still get attacked. And God is still good. Why does God allow it? Well, interesting, in Deuteronomy chapter 2, the Bible tells us God hardened Sihon's heart. To attack Israel. Think that through. God allowed this heart to be hardened. Because he wanted him to attack Israel. Wow. God allows people to come into my life. That are difficult to teach me. Says in Deuteronomy 2, verse 30, but Sihon, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass through, for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate, that he might deliver, meaning God might deliver him into your hand as is this day. So the Lord is allowing difficult people into my life to teach me. We can go through all the verses. You know them all. I we all talk about them all the time. James chapter one, blessed are you when we go through trials and tribulations. They they grow us and take us deeper. Romans chapter 5, perseverance builds character. First Peter, fiery trials trials grow us trials grow us it's the difficulties of life that grows and god is telling me i allow people to come into your life that when you do everything right they still attack you when you do nothing wrong they still attack you to grow you to take you deeper in me this man's heart was hardened now before you sit here and say well that's not fair his heart was already against israel god just took his wishes and hardened it it goes back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't like Israel and one of them destroyed. God says, I'll just harden that heart and use it. Sihon's heart was already against Israel. God just hardened what was already there. God allows people into our lives that are difficult to teach us, to take us deeper. So I tell you this, and I'm not saying I got this figured out, and I'm not perfect on this. But those difficult people, those difficult situations, sometimes you got to step back and say, Lord, I count it all joy. Because this person... This situation, this thing is teaching me to trust you more. This thing is teaching me to walk in faith. Lord, let me not complain like Israel. Let me learn. A lot of good stuff here tonight in Numbers chapter 21. Alrighty, any uh, final questions or anything, guys? Nothing, Nothing. okay. Hey, we're going to get into Numbers 22. Like I said, next week, Numbers 22. I I, I think it's going to be too much. I would really love to do numbers 22, 23, and 24 all in one setting. I hate to break that up, but I think it's going to be too much. I mean, we have to sit and talk about a talking donkey for a while. I mean, we have to, obviously, correct? So, um, hey, don't forget, Sunday mornings in person, 9 and 10.30, 9 and 10.30 guidelines are on the facebook page of what it looks like uh june 7th we'll be honoring our graduates so if you want to be honored in person at the ten thirty service graduates come out don't forget we're still doing the instagram and you can follow along with that that information is on church's facebook page prayer call at three o'clock on sundays what a blessing that is and i think i've covered uh, most everything here so i will close out with the word of prayer and then we'll let you go lord thank you for this time i love it we look forward to it and lord what a wonderful blessing of just praise and worship and i'm just thankful for your servants of of marv and just uh, bethany and john and kathy and for their ministry and then bringing the sacrifice of praise let sunday be for your glory let tonight be for your glory let us walk prayerfully practically and purposely in this season let's not walk in fear but faith let's look for opportunities to represent you and lord let us learn to walk in joy and not complaining in all ways you are good and do good in your name Amen. You guys have a good evening and God bless.